Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word, for all the jewels that are in there. And I pray that today we will learn more about how to incorporate those into our daily life. We invite your presence here as we open your word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I'd invite you to open up your Bibles. I hope you have them. Um, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. Daniel, chapter 5. This is the story of Belshazzar. And he didn't know it yet, but this was the last night of the Babylonian Empire. And what was going on? There was a great feast happening. Belshazzar had thrown a big party for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine there in the, in the presence of the thousand. And somewhere in, in the process of the party, he, he gave orders to bring out the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And they brought them to the party, and, and they used them there to, to drink wine. And they praised the gods of gold and silver and of bronze and of iron and of wood and stone. But then we know what happened. Over against the lampstand on the wall, a hand started writing. And there were the words left in fire, as it were, on the wall. Belshazzar did not know what they meant, so what did he do? He called for his wise men. Read those words to me. Tell me what they mean. But they couldn't do it. They didn't know how to answer the king and to, and to do what he had told them. So the king, Belshazzar, was greatly alarmed, very frightened that evening. Well, then it was recommended to him that he call Daniel. Daniel uh, can interpret such things. And so the king, Belshazzar, called Daniel. Daniel came to the party and was brought before the king, and the king explained the situation, asked him if he would be willing to help with this problem. And Daniel said that he would. He would help the king. But before he read the writing, and before he gave the interpretation of the writing, he did something else. Look at verse 18. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 18 Notice what Daniel does before he reads and interprets the writing for the king. Daniel 5, verse 18. O king, the Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed. Whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated. And whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts. And his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets it over whomever he wishes. This story is one we're familiar with from earlier in the book of Daniel, and Belshazzar knew it too. But notice particularly what Daniel said next. Verse 22. Yet you, 
his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and your ways, you have not glorified. Is this story today for us? Is this something that's relevant to us today? It is. It is very relevant to us. And we should pay special attention to why Belshazzar was condemned. Because then Daniel went on to read the writing and, and, uh, and told how he had been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And of course, we know the Babylonian Empire ended that very evening and Belshazzar was slain. But why was Belshazzar condemned? Daniel said it here that it was because he had known all this of what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar and yet he had not humbled his heart as Nebuchadnezzar had done. He should have learned from the experience of Nebuchadnezzar. He should have profited from the lessons that Nebuchadnezzar had learned, but he didn't. And that is why he was condemned. And it's the same for us. If we're condemned in the judgment, it will not be because we have lived in error, it will be because we have neglected heaven-sent opportunities for discovering truth. Taking the time, making the effort to discover truth is something that all of us can do. It's something all of us should do. In fact, to take the time and make the effort to discover truth is something that all of us must do if we expect to be saved in God's kingdom. We can see a good example of this in 1 Corinthians 10. If you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10, we see a, a brief history of some of the situations with the Israelites here, and we won't read all the verses, but I'll just bring your attention to certain ones of them. In, uh, in verse 7, you see, we're warned not to be idolaters as they were. And in verse 8, it says, let us not act immorally, as some of the Israelites were. And verse 9, it says, let us not try the Lord, as some of them did. And verse 10 warns us not to grumble like the Israelites did sometimes. Verse 6 says, now these things happened as examples for us. Why? Why do we have these examples? So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And verse 11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they, were and they were written for what? For our instruction, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We need this instruction. We need this admonition so that we can profit by it. And it's our responsibility, it's our solemn duty before God to to do this, to be profited by these things that are written down in God's word for us. Now, the title of our message today is The Bible in Our Home. Now, I'm a dad, and I have three girls. Does, does the Bible have anything to say about this? 
Does it have anything to say to a dad who has, who has a family? It certainly does. Does God expect me to take advantage of these heaven-sent opportunities that I have to search his word and to find out what it says to a dad with a family? Find out what kind of a dad I should be, how I should work with my children, what kind of a family we should have? Does God expect me to do that? He does. He does. And there's a lot of instruction for parents in God's word. Our scripture reading this morning, if you'd like to turn back there to Deuteronomy chapter 6, is, is one of those instructions. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 6, it says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the door posts of your house and on your gates. So there's instruction there about how we are to instruct our children, how, how a dad is to work with his children and to not just make this an occasional thing, not just a Sabbath thing, but a all day thing, all week thing. Since this instruction is recorded in the Bible, does God expect me, does God expect me to, to read it, to find out about it, and, and to do it? He does. Now, what about stories in the Bible? Are there stories in the Bible that I can learn from? Yes, uh, there's many. Uh, one, we won't take the time to read now, but I think we're familiar with the story of Eli and his sons. Now, he did not work with them in the way that he should have. Can I learn something from that? Yes, and God expects me to do that. See, God has made so many things so very clear in his word, and it behooves each one of us to diligently study God's word, and find out what he commands. We need to examine ourselves, our beliefs, our actions, and make sure that our lives are in harmony with God's word. Don't leave this to chance. We shouldn't think that, that we can depend on the excuse of ignorance because we have all these opportunities here. And so today, we want to share, all of us are going to share, some practical examples of this. Luella, Edith, Hannah, my wife Sarah, we're all going to share and there'll be some singing, too, interspersed with, uh, with the sharing. And uh, that's what we're going to do next. We're going to sing a song entitled, Love for God's Word.
Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> it's already been read, but let's talk a little bit about that. God wants us to have his words on our heart. And as a parent, he wants me to teach my children his words. Notice when he wants us to do that. When you sit in your house, this could be at mealtimes together or when you're playing or doing schoolwork together, God wants his words to be part of what we do during the day when we're sitting in our house. The next part says when you walk by the way. This could be when you go walking together or when you are playing or working outside. God wants his words to be part of how we interact with each other, how we talk with each other, how we work. 
He wants those, his words to be on our hearts and to govern how we work with each other. The next part says, when you lie down. This can include family worship in the evening or talking about your day together. And then also, when you rise up. This can be making it a point to have family worship in the morning or at least having a family prayer together. <clears throat> this isn't just a once a week thing or even once a day. God wants his words to be part of our life. So how do we do that? Does God's word really deal with all the situations that come up during the day? I am so thankful that it does. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 2 through 4. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The Bible says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I really like that. I'll stop right there a moment. I like that. God's word, um, he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And it goes on to say, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And... He's not given us these promises as some kind of high ideal just so that we can look at them and say, wow, that sounds really nice, but I, I can't do that. Um, he's given us these promises so that we can see what his ideal is and then how we can do that through the power of Jesus in our life. <clears throat> so how do we do this in our home? We wanted to make this a little practical, and certainly this is something that we're still learning. <laughs> it will be a continual progress, a continual process, I'm sure. But um, I wanted to share just one idea that has been helpful to us recently, and it includes this little box right here. Um, we call it the Bible box. And it's just a little index file, and inside the file, we have some different cards. And the girls helped me um, one day to, to find some different Bible verses in the Bible that have to do with different things that come up, you know, on a daily basis or at least at some point. And they have, um, they have to do with things like um, restraining our words or, um, you know, working diligently, um, not arguing or complaining, um, obeying cheerfully, staying courageous, listening to instruction, things like that. And the girls helped me find Bible verses, and then we put them on these cards, and they enjoyed helping me um, put stickers on them, things that, to make them look, look nice. And <clears throat> so what we've been doing is um, when one of them chooses to do something that they shouldn't do, I may talk with them about it and give them a warning, or I will ask them to go to the Bible box. And we have a little, little place 
um, where, where we keep this and a little chair there. And they have a little timer where they can um, set a timer for five minutes. And then they're going to look, then they go and they look through these Bible verses. And during that time, they can find one that has to do with a particular problem that they're having and how, through God's help, they can make a different choice the next time. And so um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk a little bit more about, about this, but I'm going to invite um, Hannah up, and then Edith will come up, and they're going to share a little bit about um, what they've been learning from the Bible box. One day, we were going to play outside. Luella wanted to play something that I did not want to play. But Jesus helped me to play what she wanted instead of what I wanted to play. Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Jesus can help us to think about what others would want to do and not just what we want to do all the time. Something else that I've been learning is to obey cheerfully and not to argue or have angry looks on my face. Sometimes mommy asks me to do things that I don't want to do, and sometimes tips me to complain or start to give reasons why I don't want to. If I choose to argue, mommy may send me to the Bible box. I have time to look at cards and find a verse that can help me make a different choice next time. What does the Bible say about arguing? This verse says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Philippians 2.14 When we argue or complain, it makes us unhappy and we usually don't get what we want. But Jesus can help us to be cheerful even if we don't get our own way. After I find a Bible verse card, then I go and talk about it with Mommy. She helps me to see that with God's help, I can answer nicely the next time she asks me to do something. Jesus wants all of us to do things cheerfully, and we can do that with Jesus' help. One day, my sister and I were playing upstairs. I don't remember all of what we were doing, but we were thudding on the floor, laughing loudly and making quite a commotion. So my mother told my sister and me to go to the Bible box. I, I think this is the verse that I found. Let all things be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14.40 God wants things to be orderly in our homes, not just our personal items, but also how we act. For our consequence, my mom had us sweep out the garage. I would have rather done something else, but this helped me to learn a lesson. With God's help, I can choose to play more quietly in the house. Another time, I was ready to work on my typing class. We have one computer downstairs and another one upstairs. I like using the one downstairs better than the one upstairs. During school, mom usually occupies the desk downstairs with the computer. One day, I asked her if I could use the computer downstairs. She said, no, let's have you use the one upstairs. 
instead of cheerfully saying, okay, I asked why I couldn't use it or something else that did not sound nice. Mommy had me go to the Bible box. I don't remember which verse I got that day, but it could have been this one. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, Philippians 2.14. Then, as a consequence, my mom had me fold a load of laundry instead of doing my typing class. I miss doing my typing class, but I haven't had a problem like this again. If you want to follow along, we will be singing from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It talks about how Jesus answered the temptations from Satan with a verse from the Bible. When I am tempted, I want to respond like Jesus did, don't you?
life of Jesus is so inspiring. He had temptations like us, but instead of giving in to them, he chose to do what God says. So having this Bible box has been helpful to the girls in learning to put God's words into practice, but it's also been helpful to me. I told the girls recently that um, <clears throat> mother has temptations too. When they choose to do something um, that's not right, sometimes I'm tempted to get irritated or sad or frustrated, that kind of thing. And during this time when they go, then I have a little window of time there that I can have a prayer and I can ask God to help me. And this has been very helpful recently, just, um, <clears throat> just choosing to take that time to talk to God has really helped a lot in helping me to be more calm. And I'm very thankful for that. I like this quotation from Ellen White, I'm speaking about mothers, she says, in an article from the Signs of the Times, September 13, 1877, speaking about mothers, she says, she almost forgets herself time and again, but a silent prayer to her pitying redeemer calms her nerves. And she is enabled to hold the reins of self-control with quiet dignity. She speaks with calm voice, but it has cost her an effort to restrain harsh words and subdue angry feelings, which if expressed would have destroyed her influence, which it would have taken time to regain. As the parents wish God to deal with them, so should they deal with their children. And praise the Lord, God has given us this counsel because he wants us to be able to deal with our children in the way that he wants us to. God knows that we each struggle with different things. It might be impatience for some of us or anger with another. Whatever it is, if we will take a moment to pray, Jesus will come in and he will help us. I've seen this work in my life. It really does work. When I just take a few moments to surrender myself to Jesus, he takes away the frustration and the pressure and helps me to speak with calmness. And he gives me wisdom understanding of how to do something when I really did not know what to do at all. <laughs> I'm so thankful for that. Now we are going to sing a song called The Lord's Commands. It talks about how we can bring these wonderful principles from God's Word into our daily life. And after that, Luella will share a little bit about what she's been learning from the Bible.
one Friday and I read Joshua chapter 3 for part of it. It was talking about how Joshua told the Israelites to sanctify themselves before they crossed the Jordan River. When they did that, God did something great for them. He made a path for them to cross the river. I was thinking about how I could apply this to myself. Jesus helped me to think of asking him for forgiveness for all my sins before the Sabbath started. When I did this, just like Joshua, God also did great things for me. First of all, he helped me to feel really happy. And then he helped me to think of something I, that I could do for someone else. Right now, I am studying through the 28 doctrines of our church. I just finished studying about the Bible, and now I am working on the Trinity. I am topping out a paper for each doctrine. I am enjoying studying these doctrines in the Bible. I want to keep studying the Bible and let God help me apply it to my life. Let us turn to Proverbs 4.18. Proverbs 4.18. It says, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. God wants us to keep learning and growing each day. We may not know as much at first, but as we study more, God helps us to understand more. Now my sisters and I are going to sing a song for you from Psalm 1. If you would like, you can follow along in your Bibles. The first verse talk, talks about how we are blessed when we do what God wants us to do. That is what happened to me, and God can do that for you too.
Not too long ago, Sarah wanted to talk to me about something she had noticed in our home. She had noticed that the children could use some more training in speaking more nicely. And she'd written down several examples of what was going on. Would you like to hear what they were? <laughs> well, here they are. There's five of them, just uh, slightly modified. First one, there's two sisters working together in the kitchen, and one of them leaves while there is still work to do. And the sister that remains says something that's not very nice to the sister who's left, trying to address that situation. Situation number two, one sister is waiting quietly to speak to mother during, uh, and she should instead be working on her schoolwork. Another sister notices and says something not very nice to, to, to try to solve that problem. Situation number three, one of the sisters has asked for the butter at the table, but no one has paid any attention to her. And so she says something not very nice to get somebody to pass the butter to her. <laughs> Number four was uh, one sister would be serving out something for, for lunch, celery or something like that. And another sister thinks it should be done a different way. And so she tries to manage the situation and does not handle that in the best possible way. And the last one, number five, was uh, the sisters are heading outside to go to play and one of them is ready before another one and is headed out the door, but the sister that's not quite ready to go outside yet uh, doesn't speak very nicely to the one that's headed out you know, to try to keep them back so they can all go out together. And so, and so Sarah felt that they could improve their speaking and, and speak nicely instead of, instead of not so nicely in these kind of situations. Well, yes, it's true that speaking nice sounding words would be better than harsh words in these, in these cases. And uh, I do believe that's the best option for number three where you need the butter passed to you. Um, just ask again nicely. But I noticed something else about the other four that there is actually a better option than even speaking nicely. And that is to not speak at all. And so we decided to give the children some training on choosing not to speak in those kind of situations because many times silence is the best thing. It's better than saying anything, whether it's whether it's good sounding or bad sounding. And so I led out in a discussion of, of this topic at the breakfast table over the course of several days. Now it didn't take the whole meal, but I'd prepared some material and so we took a segment of, of the breakfast time for several days to, uh, to go over this. And I tried to make it interesting. Here's how it went. The first day, uh, we, we learned from Proverbs about how it's not good to be a fool. And we read several verses I won't read them all here, but uh, there's a couple of them. Um, you children out there, have, have you learned about bears, mother bears with their cubs? Should you mess with those? That's bad news, right, if you get between a mother bear and her cubs? Well, my girls know that too, and so they like this verse. It said, let a man 
meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. So, and we all know it's not good to meet a bear missing her cubs. <laughs> so, that just the point was, a fool in his folly is a really bad thing. That, that was Proverbs 17, 12. And then another one, uh, Proverbs 27, verse 22. Do we all know what a mortar and a pestle is? It's a little dish with a pounder thing to grind things up. This verse says, Though you pound a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. Is, is it good to be a fool? No, Proverbs does not paint a good picture of fools. And so, and there was a couple other verses. And then I ended with these questions. Two questions. What is something, keep in mind how bad it is to be a fool. Now, what is something that is so good that if a fool does it, people think he is wise? And the second question was, what is something that is so bad that if a person does it, it makes them more hopeless than a fool? And that's where we stopped. I left them with those two questions. Well, the next day, I came back with the answers. Both of them are from Proverbs. Uh, the first question, remember, was, was what was something so good that if a fool does it, people think he's wise? The answer is in Proverbs 17, 28. And it says, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent, even a fool. And then the second question uh, was, what is something so bad that if a person does it, it makes them more hopeless than a fool? The answer to that is in Proverbs 29, 20. And it says, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so we talked about restraining our speech, how sometimes it's best to not say anything. And of course, when we do speak, it should be good words, but, uh, but sometimes there are times when it's best not to say anything at all. Proverbs 10:19 says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And I won't read all these verses either, but another one was James chapter 1. That's the verse that says how we should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And so over several days we talked about this, and that was a time for instruction. You know, the Bible in our home, it doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about it. It took some planning to, to put this together, for Sarah to think about and notice the problem, to come to me about it, to decide what we're going to do and to prepare this. It's something we have to plan. We have to take the time to find out what God wants us to do, what kind of people he wants us to be ourselves and how parents and children should work together. And then we need to make specific choices. Sometimes these are hard choices. It's not always easy what we've been talking about today. But we need to make these choices to actually carry out God's word in our home. And there are challenges, like I just said, for we have an enemy who is not wanting the Bible to be in our homes. But God will always help those who are depending on him for strength and help to do his will. We can count on that. And following God's way 
and choosing to have the Bible in our homes in a very real way is always the best choice. If you can open up your Bibles one more time to the book of Deuteronomy, this time chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we will read verse 40. Deuteronomy 4, verse 40 says, So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today. Why? Why should we keep his statutes and his commandments? That it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. That's good news. God wants it to go well with us. That's why we want to have the Bible in our home. That's why he wants us to have the Bible in our home. He wants it to go well with us, and that's the, only re that's the only way it will happen. And don't we want it to go well with us, too? Don't we like it when things go well? Sure we do. It's, it's awfully short-sighted, if we think about it, to, to be like Belshazzar, to neglect those heaven-sent opportunities that are all around us for discovering truth, and to fail to practice these things in our home. It might seem easier for a while just to let things slide, to, to not deal with problems when they come up, to not make these choices of how to speak and how to act and all that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about. It can seem easier for a little while to not do that, but the end result is not what any of us want. Just see the end result that Belshazzar had. That's not what we want. Verse 40, Deuteronomy 4.40, So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Do you want it to go well with you? Do you want to decide today that you will take advantage of heaven-sent opportunities for discovering truth and put these things into practice in your personal life and in your home? If so, I'd invite you to raise your hand as a sign of your decision. And remember, it won't always be easy, but God is our strong and able helper, and he will always do that if we ask him.